0: Blog
1: TALK RADIO You're listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics, and your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African American community. So join the conversation at 202-652-0708 and share your viewpoint at 202-652-0708. Now, back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome to the show,
2: everyone. How are you doing? I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. As we do with each show, I always try to uh, pause, first of all, foremost, and I always thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for allowing me to host this show and to have this platform. Uh, it's a humbling experience because you never know who's going to be willing to support you and and uh, call into the show or or, or show up uh, when you need them. And and it's always uh, a great deal of of joy when you call upon folks who are busy schedules and they're doing their thing uh, across the country. And they're able to, you know, come on and support you and do what it is that you do. So I am always grateful and appreciative for for folks taking the time out of their busy schedules to, to join us as uh, we try to identify and talk about what's at stake socially, economically and politically and, and how it's going to impact the African-American community and, and what are the uh, consequences. You know, we, we say... Uh, We adopted the phrase uh, uh, in uh, 2016, the elections have consequences. Uh, But that's always been the case. Elections have always had consequences. And unfortunately, the African-American community has always been at the butt of those consequences because in a lot of times or a lot of cases, um, we don't always vote or show up in what is termed or what is known as the midterm elections. We show up for presidential elections, but we never show up for what is considered the local elections because during the midterms, that's when our governors are are elected. Our governors are are up for reelection. In a lot of jurisdictions, that's when you have your uh, your judges, your district attorneys, your attorney generals, things of that nature. And uh, we don't necessarily pay attention to those things as much as we do to the presidency. And unfortunately, we have i guess the believer concept that if we vote for the president, it's gonna all trickle down uh to the local races and the and and the state races, and everything is gonna be okay. It's sort of like the Republicans trickle down economics. we feel if we give rich white people more money, they're gonna come around and help out the little you know poor colored folks you know the the people of color they going to, they're gonna put everything up for us and they're gonna give away their money and, 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 and give us their money. And that just doesn't happen. We have to be in, um, intentional in what it is we do and, and very much intentional in making sure that we uh, uh, do what it is that we need to do to participate in these midterm elections. And, and so tonight is no different. Uh, this this uh, platform, this talk show, It's humbling. It's exciting. It's, you know, it gives you, you know, uh, mixed emotions because tonight I'm excited and bewildered. And uh, I'm bewildered because I'm trying to figure out what is really going to happen tomorrow. I'm excited because I'm believing that great things are going to happen tomorrow. And yet I never know what's really going to happen because this last two years, this election cycle has been crazy. Uh, We're up, you know the 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 these midterm elections, uh, they're here. Uh, there's no more you know sitting around talking about it, pontificating uh, 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 what's going to happen with the elections and the candidates. Time to put up or forever shut the hell up. If we don't show up, if people don't show up, and I'm specifically talking for Black folks, Latinos, but if people don't show up, if America doesn't show up and say what they want to do, this referendum on Trump, whether it's going to be the way we see it or the way we want it or the way he sees it is going to make a big difference. This election is huge and vital. And I'm seriously, I mean, it's like just crazy to me the, the, the things I'm seeing in terms of the ads on TV. It's crazy to me the things I'm hearing from talking about this election. And I sit back and I wonder and ask myself, your behinds didn't do anything in 2016 and you sat on your asses and now you're complaining about everything but yet you're not willing to make a move or pull the trigger as we say to do something different about it and i'm trying to figure this out because if people are going to um go back and come back on wednesday and start in on what and why something didn't happen or why it shouldn't happen but they didn't vote i may slap the hell out of them i i i'm just like You know, whatever. Get out of my face. Shut up, because I don't want to hear nothing else you got to say. And quite honestly, it's just like crazy to me. Why or how are you going to say anything uh, about what can happen or what should happen when you didn't participate in the process? You could have phone bank. You could have walked a precinct. You could have stood in line and made sure people got to the, you know, got their uh, ability to get in and vote. You could have done a whole bunch of things because voting is a right as well as a privilege. And we have to remember as people that there is a good possibility that hundreds and thousands of U.S. citizens will not be able to vote because the Republican governors, Republican secretaries of state, Republican state legislators have deliberately with malice and forethought decided that in order for them to win, the GOP to win, they needed to stack stacking was including such laws like the Georgia exact match law, the voter ID laws where you have to go out and buy new ID to match, whereas if you have a gun permit, you can go and vote. But if you have a school ID, you can't, and things like that. And so in cases where you have to have a state ID or exact match, if you don't have that stuff, you get purged from a voter roll, simply because you didn't vote in 2017. So you had to vote every election in order to have something. And that, my friends and my people, is the area where we have to deal with a whole bunch of crap, because this is just crazy. So joining me tonight, my guest with me uh, to discuss the vital impact of this year's election is uh, Tristan Wilkerson. He's a managing partner of Think Rubix LLC, and Think Rubix is an innovative global social impact firm advancing creative problem-solving public policy making, and political strategies, as well as uh, our contributor here at Black Politics Today, uh, Rebecca Carruthers. She is the principal for Carruthers Consulting, and she is a, a, a consultant, a political consultant uh, who's been uh, running campaigns across the country. And, in fact, tonight she is actually out in, uh, uh, I believe she's in Georgia, Savannah, uh, and on her way to Charlotte, North Carolina, or in between somewhere. So she'll be giving us some reporting uh, from the road there uh, out in Savannah. So welcome to the show, uh Tristan and uh Rebecca. Pleasure to be looking at.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: So I'm I'm explaining to our listeners tonight that uh you're on the road so there'll be a little background noise when you're talking to us and everything so everyone's comfortable. Tristan is also on the road. He's out uh I'm not sure where Tristan is. Tristan will tell us where he is. But uh, let me get right to that. As a matter of fact, Tristan, uh, because I got you for a limited amount of time here. Uh, when we first met, you were you were head of um, uh, Black and Brown Vote, and now you're uh, managing partner of, uh, of uh, Think Rubix. Uh, talk to us about the impact of what can happen uh, in this in this election with the Black and Brown vote. How how vital and important. Uh, is it for them to show up or for us to show up and to deal with these voter ID laws, these exact matches and things that are happening across the country.
3: Yeah, um, thanks for having me, brother. It's always good to talk with you.
2: Um,
3: since we last spoke, uh several things have happened. Black and brown people vote, uh, which was a concept we we organized um in the twenty fourteen midterm, the last midterm, galvanizing young people and as many folks as we could around uh, around that cycle, and, you know, folks can say what they want, but uh, our folks, a lot of our folks voted, but the reality is, and folks need to understand this, is that you get what you pay for. Then you make the investment in in people of color um, uh, to be civically engaged, and you do so with integrity, and you invest in people of color to move people of color, you like to say, exactly. in independent structures, to, you know, for, then, then you start to see uh, high returns on those investments Uh, So I'll come back to that in a sec, but I just wanted to say that uh, since then, you know, we've evolved black and white people both uh, into uh, an an entire organizing model that does just what I mentioned. We're driving investment uh, into independent structures to move people of color, uh, particularly uh, black voters, I like to say multicultural millennials, uh, centering black folks, particularly black women, we know uh, who, who, who responds to the call. Uh, sort of more frequently. Um, So that organizing model, we've named woke Vote uh, for this particular season. Uh, We were active in Alabama uh, during the special election, which resulted in Doug Jones's victory. uh, And we saw historic turnout in a special election in the, you know, in the, in the the data finals for a lot of college students uh, in that early December uh, vote. And, uh, and we saw impact, you know, and, and we, we were testing our theory of change uh, then and since we've expanded the World Vote organizing model uh, across uh, several parts of the South. So uh, you asked earlier where, where is Tristan. I'm actually in D.C. right now, but uh, my teams are in Florida, we're in Alabama, we're in Georgia, we're in North Carolina, and we're supporting folks in, uh, in Tennessee and in Mississippi uh, and Arkansas. So we're, we're looking at the South and we're saying, you know, we're going to prove that in the deep South, uh, where black folks have been for uh, since the birth of this nation, <laughs>
0: uh,
3: that, we can, that we can win elections for progressive values. That said, um, we're going to see tomorrow a significant turnout among people of color, uh, and uh, I think it's going to make a difference. Now, I will also say that uh, we have not seen the type of historic investment in moving people of color in this cycle, it has been better than in previous cycles, particularly in midterms. So I will I will offer that. Uh, but but you know the reality is, is that you know if we were to compare what PACs, especially the major PACs, uh, what the what the Democratic Party uh, and other structures spend to engage African Americans uh, and people of color, it does not hold its water when we talk about that white. Swing voter or the white woman suburban voter, it does not stand up, and uh, and that's just frankly not effective. Um, it's not gonna it's not gonna help usher us into uh, the new American majority where we'll be 2040. You know, majority people of color, and it's gonna continue to give I think uh, fuel uh, to um, you know to the minority who is actually in power right now. The only way to change that is to make early deep investments into a diverse coalition. That, that includes black voters, people of color, uh, so that, you know, frankly, folks have a reason to be engaged beyond just the presidential election. I do think, though, um, you know, we're, we're a high-value voter, and that's, how, that's why we, we've been out here doing the work we've been doing at St. Rubin's, to say that a million dollars to engage a certain demographic, uh, let's just take your Obama-Trump white voter, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do what it's going to do. But a tenth of that, we'll move just as many African-American voters of color in places where we need to move them the most to see us uh, effectively create change. So, uh, I, again, don't want to get ahead of tomorrow's returns, but I, I think that we're going to see our people show up and show out in a lot of different ways, um, making history in Florida, making history in Georgia. And, frankly, as you mentioned in your in your lead-in, down ballot really effectuating uh, the type of change that has. Deep and immediate impact with our DAs and our sheriffs and our judges and our council members and our mayors, who are able to shape really the, 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 the function of cities and how we provide equity and a quality of life for folks. I think we're going to see that. So uh, excited to be here, and that's my take. Well,
2: I, I I'm hoping, and I agree with you, and I think that uh, that's where the midterms. And I think, unfortunately, the Democratic Party has 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 fallen behind in in a lot of cases in terms of educating their voters, Rebecca, and understanding the value and importance of the midterms. They tell them, "Yeah, go out and vote," but they never really explain exactly how vital these midterms are to the structure of what happens locally, but then what absol- what what translates and what happens nationally. And so you have what thirty six uh thirty i think it's thirty six uh gubernatorial races you know you have every state legislature that's up um and then you have like uh Tristan and i both said the 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 d a s the attorney generals the um um uh um what council members mayors those are vital positions that we all need to vote for aren't they
4: But something that I would like to say and just jumping off of what Tristan is saying, yes, we definitely need the Democratic Party and we need our progressive allies to pour more money into communities of color. But one thing that I've noticed this particular cycle is that we need to have more black and brown groups standing up across the country and actually forming, actually doing some of the legal work, forming those LLCs, or if they're going to be a um, C3 um, civic engagement, or if they're going to be C4, more PAC-oriented, or if they're going to be um, super PAC-oriented. Because something that I noticed with the funders this particular cycle on the Democratic side, they've been looking for groups on the ground to do it. Like in the past, we've seen where the party has funded someone who is the director of, you know, African-American constituency. But what I'm seeing in 2018, instead of just having that one point person or that small team of folks um, with the national party, instead what we're seeing is different organizations like Black Voters Matter on the ground who have put together different events. And then we're seeing where different groups um, are partnering with them to, you know, try to funnel some of those national monies and dollars to these organizations who are actually doing the work on the ground. And I think that's actually a good thing of empowering people who do the work, who are from the communities, to actually go in on the ground and get what needs to get done done. Because what I've seen, you know, the last couple of days have been all over Georgia, You know, in Atlanta, Atlanta suburbs, been in Macon, um, been through um, Augusta, Savannah, um, Woodbury, and all points in between, went through Milledgeville. And one thing that I'm noticing is that the type of race that Stacey Abrams is running is very much a down-home race, a down-home type campaign. For instance, I was at a rally last night in Augusta at a senior community center. It was more um, the size was kind of like a gym, but what was really interesting, she came in, she delivered her speech, she connected with people, and these were people who come from the rural routes who came over to Augusta to go see her. These were people who lived it, you know, in Augusta proper. But what was really interesting is her ability to connect with voters, to connect with different communities, but being extremely down home. She talks about the accomplishments of her family. She had her mo- mother and father there, and it was pretty amazing seeing people both black, both white, young and old, rich and poor, being able to relate to her. And so I'm definitely heartened by all the different groups that I see in um on the ground in Georgia, who are engaging with local folks. instead of just bringing in a bunch of national folks, but empowering local folks. And I think that's the secret sauce to her campaign. And then if I flip over to what, you know, I'm seeing in Florida, Florida has been really interesting because the vibe of Andrew Gillum's campaign is very um, reminiscent of Obama, it is very re- reminiscent of 2006, 2007, and 2008 Obama. And what's very interesting about the Florida race is that up until Gillum won the primary in late August, most of the white media in Florida and, of course, the national media didn't even know who Andrew Gillum was.
2: Right, right. But
4: black folks knew. And so when you look at the momentum that he built in South Florida, where he grew up at, And then you see the momentum with college students, not just at FAMU, but um, college students at University of Central Florida, where Bernie Sanders, I think Joaquin Castro um, did an event with Mayor Gillum um, on Saturday. And then um, in Tampa, um, there were... um, uh, different uh, Latino groups who are mobilizing voters. Eva Longoria was on the ground. Rosario Dawson, America Ferrera. There were so many. Um, Zoe uh, um, Saldana. There were so many different types of people who are engaged, who are excited. Wow. Like right like tonight, um, there's a big rally in Tallahassee at FAMU. You have P. Diddy coming in, you have DJ Khaled, you have um, Monica, you have a couple other folks coming in. They're throwing a concert to get those college students super excited, super engaged, so tomorrow morning before class, they march down to those polls. Um, we saw um, yesterday down in Miami the huge Soul to the poles march. Because as you know, Miami Gardens, is the largest uh, majority African-American city in the state of Florida.
0: Mm -hmm. And so
4: between Miami Gardens, um, Miami, um, Hollywood, Florida, making sure that folks on the ground understand we got to go bring it home. And you're seeing that excitement there. So it's two different campaign styles that are happening in Georgia and Florida, but it's still similar results where people are so excited to vote. Um, what's interesting, she's even walking around on the ground. Um, I was quite frankly surprised by the number of men who came up to me when they saw the t-shirt I was wearing, whether it was a Gillum or an Abrams t-shirt. I was surprised by the men that came up to me. And I'll tell you the reason why I was surprised. Because the story of this, of the last two years, has been about women. And the story, um, um, uh, It's been about women starting with um, the Women's March. But then the story electorally has been about black women when we see what happened in Alabama with Doug Jones. So to see the number of men who are also engaged, excited, voting, volunteering is very heartening. I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. Like Tristan and you talked about um, with the voting suppression efforts that are very real, very very much going on, Right. headed to North Carolina. There's been issues in North Carolina the last week about the different um, early voting locations, um, the different workers not providing the correct information to voters,
0: turning them away. Right. You
4: know, C P is very aware of what's going on on the ground in North Carolina, but if all things were fair, if voter suppression tactics weren't going on, handily, these races will be won, handily. But unfortunately, we have to keep and, stay vigilant, encourage right. people to vote, let them know right. it doesn't matter what Nancy Pelosi said – to Jimmy Fallon right. last week, this thing is right. not in the back
2: Exactly, exactly. And Tristan, that that's that's a very key point that that uh, Rebecca is making. And I know you have to go, so I want to give you another opportunity to to chime in here. Is that if these tactics weren't there, it would be a landslide for African Americans, for the Democrats, uh, and the Democrats as a whole, just straight across the board, regardless of what state they're in. They could literally run the tables from the Senate to the House to the governorships to the attorney generals to the district attorneys to the judges. They could really run the house in every area. And a part of my 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 uh discussion was going to be talking about thinking from the standpoint because of, of what you do, Tristan, with the with the uh, uh think rubrics and and being active in, in trying to engage the communities and and truly help them understand the lobbying aspect, I thought back to the LBTQ community when it first sort of came out the closet, if you will, and they started to uh, mobilize. The first thing they were looking to do was just, you know, just to be able to live together because of the the laws um, that were on the books that would, and in essence, prevent them from living together, sodomy laws and things of that nature. And then after that, then they fought for the right to just be able to go and stay with one another in the hospital because they wanted to be able to have that. And then they fought for the the right to call one another domestic partner. And then it came to being able to get married. And then now they're wanting to be part of the protective class of civil rights. And now they're looking for uh, protection under affirmative action. Now it's taken about 30 years for them to get there. Uh, uh, or more, but it's been that, you know, that consistent movement of, of going forward. And if all things being equal, we didn't have these barriers, African-Americans could be doing a whole lot more if they stayed vigilant.
3: That's very true. Uh, I think uh, you are accurate uh, in that African-Americans were then a threat to um what has turned out to be, you know, sort of sick, conservative ideology that um, counts the few and not the many. Um, and I go on record saying that. Uh, but, you know, let me just say that and no, right? So, uh, for the sake of the African American community, obviously voting is critical in terms of representation and also policy and governance. If you want to see uh, the conditions of our communities improve, we have to be active, civically engaged, and we also have to hold folks accountable. That participate right. in democracy you know, exactly. in all of its forms, but exactly. the reality is, is that at least for progressives and Democrats, you know, it's uh, they they have a tougher task of trying to you know sort of maintain a coalition of voters as opposed to a singular base. What my argument has been, Absol- and this is the theory that we espouse that think Rubick, is that is that you've got to begin to build a base that uh, uh, folks that are that reflect you know, the new American majority. We have to begin to make deeper investments exactly. into people who look like us, people of color, right, who will soon right. be. Otherwise, we'll have a minority government that's just not functional in, uh, in in this country. We've not seen it work very well. We've got a president who, frankly, wasn't elected by the majority of people, and it's dysfunctional in a lot of ways. Um, but what I will say is the antidote to that, and it's sort of kind of cool in a, in a democratic sense, is when folks are challenged, or someone tries to take something from you, you tend to see this, you know, arousal of engagement around, among communities. And so to Rebecca's point, yes, we have to stay vigilant at all times. And, and certainly nothing's in the bag. However, I think, I think that generally, you know, and we've seen this happen before uh, when folks try to suppress the vote turns on the vote, folks are turned on to turn out. And it's very difficult right. to suppress tons, like, you know, 500,000 voters. That that is beyond a pressure and would make a, you know, a, it'd be a new landmark case, you know, after it's all said and done because, you know, that's certain to be litigated and certainly to make it to the Supreme Court. I'm just saying, though, that there is a counter effect to those forces that tend to, to suppress and intimidate. And the effect is, you know, and we've seen this happen, the effect is that people tend to rise up, stand up, and they're challenged to participate. You know, it's, it's in a sense, it's the women's march after, you know, the election of Donald Trump. It is right. uh, the subsequent uh, movement, and you alluded to this with uh, the LGBTQIA community, uh, have been moving in, you know, in, in sort of lockstep for some time, not without their own challenges. But again, you know, marginalized groups are, when challenged, tend to rise up. Even our uh, Native American brothers and sisters in North Dakota,
0: you know, who exactly. have
3: also experienced exactly. intimidation and voter suppression, are organizing and mobilizing. And I think the effect of that will be you know, we don't know how it's going to impact the election, per se, but we do know that folks will be counted. Folks are, are going to continue to fight, and uh, we have to pay attention to that do our best to support those efforts. And to your, to your point, you know, we've got to find a way to crystallize, you know, these rights so that we're not continuously affecting, you know, the, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, uh, the heart of the right. Voting Rights Act, the clearance. Yeah, is really right. what we're fighting against today, and it makes mm-hmm. no sense that we are. It's 2018, and in 20 years there will be more people of color in this right. country than ever before. And we can't have, you know, uh, uh, rights that don't reflect um, that which the majority should enjoy. So I'll leave it and, at that, man. Thanks for having me tonight.
2: I appreciate it, man. And before you go real quick, talk to us real quick about what's at stake. Uh, since I won't be able to ask you that at the end of the show, like I normally do, what's at stake for us in this election?
3: That's that's a, you know, that's an age, that, that's a hundred year old question. I think, Uh, Folks are calling this historic midterms in part because it is. There's so much on the line. Put it this way: uh, decisions that have already taken place this year, from a war tax bill that's gonna that literally was designed to uh, to force uh, a change in government in the next Congress, for example, to have to cut uh, social programs, which will hurt poor and marginalized groups. Of course, the Supreme Court nominees that have made it to the court, those conservative judges, and the onslaught of of things that we haven't been able to really make noise of, the, the continued, uh, uh,
0: uh, uh,
3: uh, the continued uh, disrespect and frank, frankly just out of control of police to, you know, black communities that trust that continues to erode. And we're seeing things happen all across the country that aren't getting our attention. These are symptoms of, uh, of choices that were made in 2016 and, 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 and before that. So I think that this is an opportunity to do one thing, that's to check the uh, out-of-control hatred that is breeding, the fear that's breeding hatred that's breeding violence. It's an opportunity to check that, right, and then march toward 2020, which would reset, give us a chance to reset the entire landscape politically up and down the ballot. You have to think about it this way. You know, the census is coming up. Being counted matters because how we're going to legislate and govern uh, is going to make a big difference in the next decade. And I continue to try to forecast this. 2040, 2042. A lot more people who are who look of color will be yes. will be the majority in this country, and we have to be ready for that. It's not something that's going to change yes. overnight. Otherwise, exactly. I think we're going to be in big, big, big trouble if we don't begin to uh, to you know to sort of create and develop policies that reflect that uh, that truth. So there's a lot on the line, and it starts now. If we don't, you know, we'll we'll find ourselves looking backward in 2024, and 26, and 2028. 20,
2: Well, I thank you, Tristan, for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
1: If you're not facing your mortgage issues, this can be the most terrifying sound in the world. It means you've fallen behind. It means hope is dwindling. It means you're another call closer to losing your home to foreclosure. Fortunately, there's hope. If you need real help and guidance, call 1-888-995-HOPE. That's 1-888-995-4673. Because nothing is worse than doing nothing. A public service announcement brought to you by NeighborWorks, the Ad Council, and this station.
0: Honey, put this on top of the minivan. We're only going for two weeks. You want me to back the kitchen sink, too? Well, is there room? Hey, you guys, you going on vacation? Who's
2: that? I don't know. Because we're
0: planning on robbing your house.
3: warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. There's a simple blood test called A1C that can help measure your risk of complications from diabetes. Why is it important? Because more than 600 people every day die from diabetes and its complications. If your A1C is above 7, your doctor can show you how to lower it. If you have diabetes, know your risk. Know your A1C. Ask your doctor. Or for more information, go to www.diabetesa1c.org or call 1-877-TEST-A1C. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council.
1: You're listening to Black Politics Today an eye for what's at stake in global politics, and your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African-American community. So join the conversation at 202-652-0708 and share your viewpoint at 202-652-0708. Now back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams.
2: Welcome back to the show. Of course, uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, the call in number tonight is actually 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. You can join the conversation at that number calling in. Uh, welcome back to the show, Rebecca. I want to thank you uh, again for, for joining us and, and being our, our uh ears and eyes on the ground uh there in uh Florida and Georgia and you now getting back to North Carolina. And following up with what Tristan said uh um just before he departed and talking about the uh Mitch McConnell cuts that are uh uh planning on, you know, that he's planning to do um if he's able to retain the Senate um and or the House, uh which is the the social programs, the, the Medicaid, the Medicare uh, Social Security. And, and he was very blatant and blunt about the fact that uh, he's got to do that to pay for this tax cut that they, that they uh, uh, signed into law that they had no plans on paying for uh, unless they then came back now to do so. And uh, what that's going to mean to African Americans
4: well, before I even address that, i have one small, I guess, point of contention um, to something that Tristan said. Um, something that Tristan said with all this voter um, suppression that we're seeing on the ground, that that in turn might um, end up having more people actually going out to assert their rights. So for me, I, you know, being on the ground, I feel like I've seen too much at this point. And one thing this reminds me, it's two things. It reminds me of something that Maya Angelou said. She said once people show you who they are, you better believe right.
2: them. Believe it. That's and then right. there
4: is there is yep. And then there is a and so what these people have shown to us is that they believe in black folks not having the right to vote. They right. believe that in people who are going to be in political positions for them, for them not to have the right to vote. And so we gotta believe them. They're gonna do wherever right. they can. In fact, what we see what um, Secretary of State and Georgia Kemp is doing, and Kemp is also running opposed to um, Stacey Abrams for governor, what we see him doing is what Kobach was trying to do in Kansas as the Secretary of State. And now he's on the ballot for governor there. And the reason exactly. I support stay vigilant about these things because this is just a dry run for 2020. They understand, oh,
0: absolutely. 2020,
4: absolutely. they understand in 2020 people are going to be paying attention. These technology companies are going to be paying a little bit more attention, and they're not going to allow the Russians to come in and infiltrate our system and manipulate our uh, social media and then some of our, our other tech data systems the same way that it happened in 2016. So they know as they have a shrinking voting electorate, They know the only way for them to maintain power is by cheating. And the reason why they're going to cheat is because it impacts their female privilege. And that's something we have to acknowledge here. So this is not a, you know, even if we were to fix the Voting Rights Act, even if we were to extend Sections 3 and 5, bulk up Section 4 again, they will still find another way to suppress the minority vote. And so here's one other quotation that I found from Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan once said, freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. And so when it comes to our right to vote, we can say the same thing. Our right to vote is never more than one generation from being taken away. Right. We can't give it to our children, their DNA. We have to fight for it. We have to teach the next generation why they have to fight for it. Then they, in turn, have to give it to that next generation for them to fight for it.
0: So it's just right. a
4: pushback, and I want the listeners to understand the fact that there are people there. There are people right now, they want to take away your right to vote. And they Absolutely. will stop and,
2: at nothing. And, and, and stop so. at nothing. And in some cases, they have done that. And you have not fought for it. And that's what I meant by uh, the idea that electing President Obama was somehow going to trickle down to the state levels and everything was going to be okay. And that's during those times is when they passed these voter ID laws and African-Americans were asleep at the wheel not fighting against it, not speaking up against it. The state legislators were like, oh, no, no, no. And it was like small cries, but it wasn't megaphones in every state that they passed those laws in. And it wasn't until after they passed that the megaphones came out, which is indicative of what typically happens um, with the Democratic Party or with African-Americans that frustrates me so much is that. We need to be on the megaphone before it gets to the governor's desk. We need to be on the megaphone before it actually passes out of committee. We have to be on the megaphone before it gets to the floor and gets voted on. And it's, it's always, for me, just so frustrating because I've, I've been in that environment. I've been at the local level. I've been at the state level. And then I've been at the federal level. It's frustrating to me that there, there aren't those collective bodies that we need Ensuring and making sure that our interests are always being addressed and accounted for, and uh, I'm I'm encouraged by your 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 uh, earlier comments that you've seen so much engagement and that the money is coming to local groups and it's not just that one individual that's the African American outreach person for the party sitting here trying to coordinate you know a state that they don't live in or states. That they, you know, don't have any demographic uh, expertise in, and being able to uh, address the issues. But my question I wanted to ask before I, I I got back to Tristan was, did the money come soon enough and early enough to make an impact and difference, or is it coming in now where we're still trying to play catch up and then we're doing the same thing we did before, but we're just now putting the money in the state hands instead of keeping it at the national level.
4: So I think that tends to happen with races where money comes in later on. And usually what happens is for a race to become national, like, for instance, um, Beto O'Rourke. His race became a national race, um, but I will also say his campaign friended me on Instagram, I want to say six, seven months ago. So before I even heard nationally or seen on national TV about Beto O'Rourke, his campaign was using technology. They were using targeting data to figure Mm -hmm. out how do we go outside of Texas, how do we get people interested in our race, following our race, retweeting our race, talking about our race. And then right. calling people back in te- Texas to ask about our race, right? Mm-hmm. So they were able to build a um, national mm-hmm. platform. And then, you know, it didn't hurt that he's a um, sitting, sitting congressman. That right, right. So,
2: so himself, it, it works for him to access. be having an effort. Right. Right.
4: Yeah. So if you take someone, um, you know, if we look at Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams was, the, um, I believe, the minority Senate leader. In Georgia, Uh, she was the the minority House leader. So she was one of the most powerful and high-profile Democrats in the state of Georgia. We look at Andrew Gillum. He's the mayor in Tallahassee. Tallahassee is also where the governor's mansion is Mm -hmm. and the state house is. And so there's certain attention he's going to get by virtue of that. And so one thing that we have to understand with these campaigns that are viral or national they also, you know, they weren't just first-time candidates, here they come, now they're running, right?
2: Right, so exactly. When we
4: compare those races to like a Ben Jealous race, now we see where Ben Jealous is in the poll, and for your listeners to understand, Ben Jealous is running for governor in the state of Maryland. Maryland um, has a um, Democratic edge, meaning there's more registered Democrats there um, than Republicans. Currently, there is a um, sitting Republican um, governor who has painted himself as a moderate. He's taken Trump on, on a couple of issues. But, you know, word on the street is that his best friend is Mike Pence. So take his moderateness for, you know, you know, with a grain of salt.
2: With a grain but of salt. Meant, In fact, just one with, grain. With a, huge,
4: with, with a huge grain of Himalayan pink salt. <laughs> but right. take it with some salt. But the thing about Ben Jealous, you know, Ben Jealous um, reportedly is down in the polls in double digits, right? Right, right. Polls don't vote. People do. Ben Jealous can still win. But we have to ask ourselves, if Ben Jealous was an elected official, if he had a record, would he have been able to engage some of those voters who like to see someone established or see someone who has a a record? Um, or are cast as an elected Official before they make that person a, An executive of, of their state So to right. your question About when does money flow Money flows When there's attention on the race When people are talking about the race And so some Candidates say well I need a little bit Of money so I can get attention on my race So then it becomes right. A horse versus you know cars, horse right. versus right. egg scenario. Correct and so and I, I and think, think
2: it, I think one of the things with with uh, Ben as well is that uh, he decided that he wasn't going to take any pack money, and he tried to you know he wanted to have a race of of the people rather than a, a, a race in and what I'll term a race uh, for the purpose because you can't always depend or rely on the people to contribute like you said if they don't know of you in the sense of being a leader in some capacity or executive in some capacity or elected official in some capacity, and you're not a business owner. So Ben being well, a civil so, rights person and not taking that that PAC money, I, that may have hurt him, you think or not?
4: Now, so to, So I will say this for your listeners. Now, Ben Jealous is the former uh, head of the National NAACP. Right. He also is a venture capitalist, so I do believe he does own a Um, some type of venture business. Right. You know, his past, you know, he's also an organizer. But I think for Maryland Democrats, they're looking for someone who can run Annapolis. They're looking for someone who can work with um, the state house because the Mm -hmm. state house has some very strong willed and strong personality elected officials. So the question becomes, can Ben navigate through Annapolis in a way that brings home to Baltimore County, to Montgomery County, to Prince George's County, and everywhere in between? Does mm-hmm. he have the political gravitas to do it? And I think that's the question that voters are going into the voting booth asking themselves about BID in Maryland.
2: Mm, okay. Interesting. And so what do you see as the, as the, the uh, outcome of that race uh, based on uh, your work in the area uh, uh, in Maryland and, and being able to see what the people are doing? Um, will the people support him? Will they get up under, you know, will they get that, be that wind under his wings to push him forward if they see things happening in Georgia and Florida that excites them?
4: So my concern for Ben and Maryland is the level of engagement with black women. Mm-hmm. So in um, in Florida, as well as um, in Georgia, I've seen black women engaged. I've seen black women turning out, showing out, raising mm-hmm. money, doing house mm-hmm. parties, knocking on mm-hmm. doors, making phone calls. I haven't seen that fervor or that intensity in Maryland on behalf of Bid. I see black women saying, you know, I don't know about him. I'm unsure about him. Is Hogan really that bad? Things have been okay so far. And then my pushback to them is, hey, we really need to think about having um, uh, an expansion uh, or the idea of Medicare for all. Because when we look at the billions of dollars that Maryland is spending on health care, they're still mm-hmm. seeing the gap in those who are fully covered or see the gap in those who can't afford or don't have adequate, um, care. you know, right. especially when we see what's happening on the national level with the gutting of the affordable care act. So right. when I push back or ask, Hey, were you happy with what happened with the university of Maryland? Were you happy with what happened with that coaching staff? Are you happy with what was going on with the board of governors? Um, and their uh, response to the athletic department, do you think Ben will do better or put pressure on the University of Maryland where we do not see um, Hogan doing so? Do you think Ben will invest more in Prince George's school system that needs a lot more money? it right. needs, you know, it's been having so many different issues. And then I asked the folks in Montgomery County, do you think Ben would do a better job in making sure that there's adequate transportation options and understanding that just why is 270 may not be the answer? And so right. with those pushbacks on policy issues, then I see people saying, okay, I get what you're saying. But what's unfortunate is that what we see in Georgia, or fortunate for Georgia and what's fortunate in Florida is that black women are so engaged I don't even have to make those responses. I don't even right. have to make those arguments
0: because right. they've
4: embraced those campaigns. They've taken ownership of those, ownership campaigns. Of
0: those campaigns. and they're
4: take, Yeah, and they're taking responsibility for the turnout for those campaigns. And we're not seeing that happen in Maryland. So, I mean, there's a lot of different questions we can ask. Are black voters turned off by the, you know, Bernie revolution? In Maryland, is that a concern when we look at some of
2: our black voters in Maryland? Yeah, that's that more is more Hillary
4: folks than Bernie
0: folks.
2: Right, right. And Ben was a Bernie uh, uh, backer and not a Hillary backer. And so, uh, is that, is that coming home to roost maybe is, is that what it is? Because it seems to me that, uh, what you're, what you're saying about the engagement is very true. Um. As I've been out and talking to folks and, and listening to folks and especially um uh women business owners and and uh uh even some men, they they're saying that. They're like, Well, you know, uh Hogan's been all right for me, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And it's like, okay, well, you think Ben is gonna take that away from you? Well, I don't know what he'll do. And so I'm I'm always I'm always uh, uh, dumbfounded, I guess, or, or, or bewildered at times when, when those responses is what I get because I'm thinking in the cultural sense of understanding and recognizing how tough and how difficult it was for you to even start your business or get into business. Why would you think Ben would then take that away from you as a person of color? But as you said, the engagement is just not there.
4: Right. It's It's a different level of engagement. Now, right. because of the numbers in Maryland, I'm not going to count him out, but if I had to rank, you know, if I had to rank the top ten races and where it was going to go, if I had to rank the top ten competitive races that I think the Democrats will win tomorrow, Ben's race would not be in the top ten for me. Now, yeah. will I say it's impossible? No, because when we look at his primary victory, a lot of people didn't see that happening. And so people expected exactly. his ground game. Now, I have people who've pushed back and said, hey, the Republican Party has called me several times. Hogan folks have called me several times, but I haven't heard anything from the Jealous campaign. So that's what I'm hearing in the general. But once again, Ben pulled it off against a very popular new Baker. And as okay. we know in Maryland, especially in a Democratic primary, you have to look out. Baltimore County. You have to look at Prince George's County. Prince county look right. at Montgomery County. Right. We knew that Rich was going to um, win Prince George's County. Prince George's
2: he, County, right.
4: And he had, you know, he had, I believe, the support of Montgomery County Executive. Montgomery County, exactly.
2: It. Right, yep. right.
4: You know, in exactly. uh, Montgomery County. But Jealous still pulled it off. So,
0: mm-hmm. you
4: know, depending on what his organization looks like on the ground, And in my opinion, depending on what black women do um, in the voting booth tomorrow.
2: Wow. Interesting. So talk to me about what I always say. What's at stake for us? Tomorrow's a big day. What's at stake for us? Tomorrow's a a big day.
4: Tomorrow is absolutely a big day. It will be the first time that Americans will be able to go collectively on record and repudiate what's going on in the White House what's going on in our national politics. And to also tell the world, as American citizens, we don't quite know how 2016 happened, but it's not gonna happen again in 2020. And I think that's what we're gonna see tomorrow. And as you know, when we look at what's at stake for the black community, you know, just like President Obama said in Florida the other night, he always said, you know, this is the most important election. He said that in 2008, he said that in, 2012. And he was okay. like, you know what, y'all? Yeah, those elections were important, but man, this election. And I would say that, you know, elections are ever moving. You know, our body politic in this country is never at a standstill. And once again, we're at a crossroads. Do we want to stand up for what we say America was built on those positive things of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness? Or do we want to slide into authoritarianism? Do we want to slide into fascism? Do we want to slide into a more hostile country? And, you know, our union has always been an imperfect union, and we've always looked to create a more perfect union.
0: But what we're
4: fundamentally asking is, tomorrow, do we still want to be a union or no? Do we still want to be the United States of America or no? And I think many more Americans are going to show up tomorrow and say we are still the United States of America.
2: I, I certainly hope so. And I, I you know, I, 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 like I said in my opening, I'm excited and and yet I'm I'm sort of queasy because I, for whatever reason, I take this stuff personal sometimes, and especially when I listen and hear these hypocritical and just outlandish lying ads. It You know, I, I want to pull my hair out and just scream and throw something at the TV, or if I'm at a rally and they're saying something crazy, I just want to, like, just run up there and say, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> you're just lying. <laughs> and I, it bothers me that people don't listen and pay attention. But I'm, I'm encouraged by what you're talking to me, telling what you're telling us and telling our listeners uh, of what's happening on the ground and, and what's happening uh, across the South. Because as I think about it, and as I've said and I've tweeted out and, and, and made mention of it, we have three African Americans running for governor, being the chief executive of that state, and three Southern states where, quite frankly, you know, just you know, what, 50 years ago, they they, they would have been you know lynched if they even thought about running for office or even you know going in the front door of a restaurant. And here we have opportunity to make history in each and every case and to allow that door to be forever open uh, for the next one to come through. And we have like situations in Maryland, as you so eloquently put together, people aren't engaged in that and they're not seeing it from that perspective. And, and for me personally, that bothers me. And I just don't understand because of just what you said, of what's at stake And, you know, Republicans have always been able to, you know, smile at you and tell you something, throw you a few crumbs, and then we can see what really happens in this next term if Hogan's elected, reelected. We'll really see his true colors in this next term about where he's going to be going and and what he feels his future is going to be like, because uh, those are when the policies that you really want to put out are going to come out. And so I, I I hope that that uh, as as you said I, I you know we don't give up on it and uh, those folks who are listening in Maryland to to certainly go out there and and do something about it and make sure that uh, we can make history and in, in, in so many states as well as in the House and we can squeak out a victory in the Senate so we can stop these judgeships going because we're running out of time now but I certainly want to hit you on the judgeships and and these hundred and six federal judges that uh, Donald Trump has, has put in place with the majority of which were, were Obama's uh, selections or Obama's slots to fill that Mitch McConnell stopped him from filling and now you have these folks in for life and they're like 40 years old and never tried a case. You got g- g- Give me a minute on, on that, uh, Rebecca. Are you still there, Rebecca?
4: Yeah, sorry about
2: that. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Uh g- give me give me give me forty five seconds on the issue of these hundred and six judges that some have never tried a case but now they're on a bench for life and it impacts, you know, appeals and and federal issues that will come up before them that African Americans may bring.
4: Well, we have to think about what our recourse is. For these federal judges that are appointed, we still have to remember judges can be impeached.
0: They can't so They
4: they can absolutely be impeached. So what we need to do is stay vigilant. All 106 of these judges, we need to be reviewing their decorum in the court. We need to be be reviewing their rulings, making sure that they're actually applying the rule of law. And if we see that they're falling falling short, we have to file formal grievances. We have to complain. We have to reach out to uh, our senators. But we do have to remember, we still have a recourse. They can be impeached. But the only way they get impeached is if we apply political pressure to those who have the power to impeach.
2: Well, that's what we're going to have to do. That's what we're going to have to do. I want to thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us. And I appreciate you each and every time. And I uh, uh, am so appreciative to your contribution to black politics today and look forward to uh, hearing and talking to you next week and the week after. Uh, certainly uh, follow Rebecca uh, at, uh, Is it uh, political, polit- Politics Rebecca?
4: Yep, Politics Rebecca, Politics Rebecca is P-O-L-T-I-C-S Rebecca is R-E-B-E-K-A-H You can follow me On IG, on Instagram Or you can follow me on Twitter at Politics Rebecca
2: And she was also one of our contributors to uh, Our November issue of Black Politics Today magazine talking about this right here about the importance of this election and uh certainly uh go to com and look at the uh bpt magazine tab and get your subscription and read those articles i want to thank you again tonight uh rebecca and uh thank my guests thanks so uh, much rebecca carruthers and tristan uh wilkerson and if you don't know now you know get out and
1: vote Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today.